listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome to the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast that's designed to help you save your relationship no matter where you are. It's very interesting. I was looking in the statistics for the podcast just a short while back, and we have passed, we have surpassed now over 3 million downloads around the world. Kind of amazing to think that uh, the podcast episodes have been listened to that many times. It kind of humbles me to think that you're spending time with me here as you're working on your relationship, working on getting to the better place. And for a while, I've been talking about emails that people send in questions that readers have uh, sent in asking questions. I've been looking for that kind of that middle ground question, you know, called the Goldilocks question. That means that it's not so specific that it would only apply to that one person, nor is it so broad that it actually needs a whole system, which I have already created in the Save the Marriage system, but something that would be in the middle, something that would be applicable to lots of people. Well, this week is not so much from an email as much as a coaching session. One of the things I get to do, not as much as I would like, just because of all the other things I have on my plate and all the other things I have to do. I enjoy coaching with people, working with them directly one-on-one, no matter where they are in the world. Uh, And I do this a number of different ways, but it always brings in some interesting uh, pieces and interesting interactions with people on different corners of the world. And so last week I was speaking with someone in Australia. And at the same, the next day, I think I was speaking with somebody in, I think it was England. And then the next day, I was speaking with somebody across the U.S. from me. And and all of those different places, there was one common theme about expectations. And I started thinking about those expectations and what that does to relationships and the multiple ways that it gets expectations get us into trouble. And I realized that really, in many ways, our expectations can be marriage wreckers. In fact, they're often marriage wreckers. They wreck your relationship by eating it out. So I thought I would talk about that some today and, and give you some of the pieces of information I gave to those people, the same information I've been talking to people for years about. You see, we all are plagued by expectations, And I really have come to see the expectations as being a big issue for us and how we do in day-to-day life, whether it's in relationships at home or relationships outside of the home or even with ourselves. The fact is that sometimes our expectations get in our way. In fact, I would say more often than not, they get in our way and they don't even serve the purpose we think they're serving. We think about expectations as somehow guiding our future. And just kind of think about this for a minute. We all kind of have this want, this desire to know what to expect. And when you get up in the morning, you you have some expectation of how the day will go, right? You get up, okay, I've got my calendar. How will my day go? That's my expectation of how the day goes. Now, if you're much like me, your day doesn't go by your expectation. And you've probably gotten used to that. The interesting thing is how many places our expectations get us into trouble and frustrate us and keep us away from happiness. 
So first of all, let's just agree that an expectation is a strong belief, whether you state it or not, that something's going to happen. Maybe it's that somebody's going to do something or not do something, but somehow you have an expectation, a strong belief that something is going to happen. That's what I mean by expectation. And, and expectation can be in either direction. I expected you to act poorly. I expected you to act well. And if you think about that, you know, sometimes you'll have an expectation that somebody is going to be horrible and you meet them and you know, they're nice and warm and wonderful people. Or maybe you have an expectation that somebody's going to be really kind and then they're not. And either one of those can throw us off. I was talking some time ago with somebody who met uh, a kind of a famous person, author, and uh, she said, you know, I love this person's writing, and so I was so excited to be able to meet this person. And when I met this person, I never want to read another book from this person again. The person was cold and distant and chided me for uh, spending too much time talking and really was short. And I looked and said, what were you expecting? And it wasn't so much me saying you know, that, that that person shouldn't have been that way, as much as to just wonder aloud, what were you expecting out of that interaction? And she told me that she had expected somebody who was warm like her books were and exuberant like her books were. And, you know, I kind of thought through how that interaction went because we didn't know, I don't know, and she didn't know what was going on in the life of that person in that moment. But it did recall for me a moment I had, I was talking with a reporter who was uh, interviewing me, and she said, you know, I had this woman who told me she just started watching me again after five years of refusing to watch me on TV. And I said, what did you do <laughs> to keep her from watching you for five years? And she said, well, I was in the hospital. I was sick and in the hospital and getting treatment. And she came up to me, and I didn't shake her hand. I didn't want to take a, a picture with her. I said, wait, wait, you're telling me you were getting treated in the hospital and you weren't at your top of your game? She said, right. I was probably pretty short with her. I was feeling pretty miserable. And she was offended by that. And because of that, she decided to never watch TV again. That's the power or, or watch me on TV again. And that's the power of the expectation. The person who was interviewing me is a very warm, vivacious person who goes out of her way to make a difference in the community. So the person who was coming up to her in the hospital had an expectation of how she would be. But this reporter was not feeling well. This reporter was not able to be at the top of her game. And because of that, it hurt the expectation of the other person so much so that she decided that this reporter was not who she pretended to be on TV, even though she is much that person. That's expectations. Now, just for a moment, I want to kind of pull out two different levels of expectations. I believe that we have some internal expectations and some external expectations. Internal expectations, that, that's that layer of uh, something that we, we expect somebody and, and how we, rea we react internally with those expectations. That's one layer of these expectations. It's kind of what we innately expect. Then there are our external expectations that are more spoken. Sometimes these are ones that um, maybe are with somebody that we think we have some power over. For instance, a boss might say, I expect you to have that on my desk tomorrow, right? That's I expect. Or to our kids, 
I expect you to act this way. Now, some people do that with their spouse. I expect you to stay in line, right? The internal ones are the ones that we just hold. Like, I come in the door and I expect that the house is going to be clean. That might be an internal expectation. Or um, I meet a friend and I expect that they are going to be on time and do what we, they say they're going to do. Or maybe I have an internal expectation about how things are handled in the household. Now, there are two more layers to this. They're the implicit or, or innate ones and the explicit. Now, the difference between those two are sometimes you have some that you don't even know that you have. Those are the innate ones. And then there are ones that you might even state. So, for instance, my mother and my father talk about this example. When they first got married... Um, They both kept putting the mail that needed to go out right beside the door. Now, this is the day when, you know, you had to pay your bills in the mail and and anything that was going to happen had to go through the mail. So they just would put their mail, both of them, right beside the door, both expecting the other to deliver those to the post office, to take them to the post office and make sure they got mailed. Now, the reason that both of them expected that is because in my father's household, my grandfather, a minister, uh, was often work, staying close to home in the morning, and so uh, he might be uh, working on a sermon or doing other things from home or right next door at the church, and so he, he didn't go very far in the morning from those places, and so my grandmother would gather that up, and in her errands for the day, her shopping or whatever, she would drop them by to the post office or give them to the mailman. Now, my mother, her grandfather or her father, my grandfather on that side, was actually, uh, for a while, a postal delivery person. So he would take the mail and just take it on his way to work. He would drop it off. And so my mother's mother would just put the mail at the door, and they would you know, make sure it went there. My grandfather would pick it up and take it on his way. So in my father's family, my grandmother took care of the mail. In my mother's family, my grandfather took care of the mail. And so each of them had an expectation that the other was going to be responsible for the mail. But it was innate. They didn't talk about it. Neither one had ever said, are you going to handle that? They just assumed that. And so, you know, pretty, pretty soon there was mail piling up at the door and they hadn't figured out why. It's because they had an innate expectation based on their history that they had never even thought through. Then there are those more explicit ones that come to you where, you know, you think, hey, this is fair, right? So it's fair that you have to do the dishes. And so that's an explicit one. And so you might be thinking, okay, the innate ones are bad. The explicit ones, the external, those explicit ones that you, you say are more helpful. And I would just suggest that given both of those scenarios, there's a problem point. So here's the problem. Let's go with the internal one first. First of all, there is the innate where you finally stumble upon it because things don't happen. And, and by the way, that's a good way of judging where you have innate expectations. Where things don't happen the way you think they are, you can step back and say, what led me to think that? What led me to believe that? Is there some expectation that's inside of me that I'm not even realizing? And it, takes, it may take some time to think through and tease through where that expectation is, where it came from. So, but let's focus our little more attention on the internal ones. So let's say that there is a failure of expectation. 
what happens when there is a failure of expectation? Well, it leads to a negative emotional state. I expected this was going to go this way, and it doesn't, so I'm frustrated by it. Now, it's internal, so the other person doesn't know what's going on. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, another uh, couple uh, a few weeks ago, and the woman said, you know, I work hard, and I come home in the evenings, and I, I don't know what to do when I walk in, and my husband is sitting on the couch in his underwear playing video games with a house a wreck all around him. I expected he would do more. He had no idea that that was an issue. For him, the house being a mess was no big deal. And for him, he worked, he came, went into the office earlier, came home earlier, but was also tired and figured it was his time to recuperate before his wife came home, at which point then he would be at a better place. So he expected that when she came in the door, they would have a good time together. And it didn't work. It didn't happen because she hit the door expecting the house to be clean. And suddenly they both were at cross odds because he was expecting her to be ready to spend time with him. She was expecting him to have cleaned the house. Neither of those worked and they were clashing. Because there was a failure of expectation, which led to frustration and anger and hurt and resentment. All of those are the fallout of when there is a failure of those internal expectations that maybe the other person didn't even know about. Now, let's just talk for a moment before we come back to this on the external ones. Because an external expectation comes about when you state the expectation to the other person. I expect you to. Now, one of the things that you probably have noticed that I'm very clear about is that a marriage is based on we. We are in this together. We're a team. When you use an expectation on someone, an external expectation, telling them what you expect of them, it's no longer an equal relationship. You've taken a position from a higher place where you can push your expectation on the other person without them having a choice in it. So there is that piece. But let me just take it one step further and say that there is another innate trap in expectations. There's a built-in trap. And here is the trap. If you have an expectation, the only thing the other person can do is get to zero. They can't get further beyond that. They can only make it to zero meaning they can't exceed an expectation. So let's, for instance, say you, you, you were to say to your spouse, I expect you to have this house clean when I get home. And you come in the door, and indeed the house is clean, at which point you would say, well, that's what I expected, zero. So you can't exceed that. I mean, you could clean it more, which would only make it clean, And so let's say the person did a really, really, really bang up job and you go, well, that's what I expected. Of course you made it clean. That was the expectation. No exceeding that. But let's say you walk in and the house hasn't been cleaned at all. Then they're at a negative. They failed at your expectation. Or let's take it a little bit further. Let's say they didn't clean it the way you want to have had it cleaned. You didn't get it cleaned at the way you expected it. See that expectation? And so they failed again, even if they tried, even if they tried to do that. So these expectations keep us at a disadvantage in a relationship. The same thing is true with kids, too. 
So let's say that you say to your child, I expect you to be home by midnight. And they squeak in the door at 11.59. Indeed, they met your expectation of being home by midnight, at which point you say, well, that's what I expected. They can't exceed that because if you say in by midnight, any time before that, they're only going to meet the expectation. If they come in after midnight, they have failed. So there is at zero or below. If you just think about that in trying to get credit for things, you're never going to exceed zero with an expectation. So how do we work through that? Well, first of all, let's talk about some very obvious expectations that are uh, danger points for a relationship. One of those is the belief that a spouse should make me happy. I expect my spouse to make me happy. Now, that one has a built-in problem, and that's reality. A spouse can make another spouse miserable. I mean, I could probably spend some time making my, my wife pretty miserable by the way I treat her, but I can never make her happy. It's not in your capacity to make somebody happy. So when we expect marriage to make us happy or our spouse to make us happy and we're not happy, we know where to put the blame, except for there's nothing the spouse could do to do that. Our own happiness is our own responsibility. And yet that's a huge expectation I see people put on marriage and on a spouse. Now let's go with another one. My spouse should do their fair share. So that seems fair, right? Expectation-wise, you go, okay, I'm going to do my fair share. You're going to do your fair share. We got 50-50 in here. Well, as I've said before, marriage is never 50-50. It's 100-100. I'm all in. You're all in. Now, Brene Brown, on a recent interview, uh, talked about the fact that she and her husband do an 80-20 plan. And what that means is when they hit the door, each person can say how much they now have in reserve. And then they talk about what happens now. So let's say she comes in. She says, man, that book tour is driving me crazy. I've only got 20%. Her husband can say, hey, I got you. I've got the other 80%. I'm good today. You know, I'm, I'm rested. I'm ready to go. I got 80. Or maybe he comes in. And he's like, man, you know, I've been dealing with with, uh, patients all day. I'm exhausted. I've got 25%. That's it. That's all I got. And she says, that's got, I've got you covered. I've got 75. I've got it. So as long as their combined equals 100, they're okay. When if they were to expect the other to come in and carry their fair share every day, they're missing the reality of how the day can go, of what each person might have in the whole approach of the day, of what's left over when they finally get back to each other. So they've worked out a deal that when they don't hit 100, they sit down at the table not to negotiate how the other person's going to have to suck it up and put more out, but to be able to ask the question, okay, what do we do? So let's say she comes in the door and she's like, man, I've got 15%. And he says, oh gosh, I've only got 30%. Okay, combined we're 45% time to sit down at the table and ask the question, do we you know, put away the good food and order out? Do we uh, keep the kids home from practice? Do we go to bed early? I mean, there, there are plenty of ways that they can manage it if they're trying to problem solve and make sure they've got their bases covered. The reality they're bringing in is that 
fair share is very tough to manage over time because it's based partly in perceptions, and that can often be skewed, and often because um, of how the day has gone, of what you have in your energy reserve. Sometimes you just don't have enough to bring in what the other person might expect is your fair share. Years ago when I was sick, I can tell you I was not pulling my fair share at home. I was going to work and I was coming home and I was resting on the couch. There have been times when my wife was sick and I'm like, hey, you know, there's no fair share here. I got it. So what I'm saying is many times fair share is not A, not possible, and B, a perception issue. So why is it a perception issue? Well, they've done some research and they asked couples to each talk about how much they're contributing to the household. What portion is theirs? And it could be around, you know, income and chores and taking care of the kids and all the other maintenance things of life. So how much is each one contributing? What, what share are they contributing compared to the other person? So the interesting part of the research is that the numbers that were given by the couples always exceeded 100, which isn't possible. If you're talking about all that's going on in the family, the income, uh, the chores being done, taking care of the kids, if put everything in, that's 100%. There's no exceeding 100%. That's, it's everything. It's 100%. So if each person is saying they're doing uh, an amount that when added together exceeds 100%, there's a perception problem because they're perceiving that they're putting in more than their spouse. The perception is a danger point. It's one of the places that these expectations can get us into trouble because sometimes I might be doing some things that are somewhat invisible, in my mind very important, but to my wife invisible. It's just like, well, that's, of course you're doing that. That's no big deal, right? And so sometimes we miss how the other person is doing things. In fact, I would go so far as to say how they're even loving on us. This kind of relates to Gary Chapman's idea of love languages, that somebody can be speaking love to you and you not hear it because they're speaking their language, not yours. So in that case, it's possible that you think, you know, I'm doing all the loving around here, right? I'm doing everything to push this relationship forward and your spouse to be going, I'm doing everything around here. I'm doing everything to push this love forward. And in the process, both feel unloved or not loved enough, not loved to the point of meeting their expectation, so let's talk about two different pieces that we can think about in, in solving this. The first one is that I would suggest that life works better anyway based on agreements, not expectations. Agreements change the pattern for couples. So a couple might sit down and say, you know, what, what can we agree on here with the chores? Would you agree to do the dishes if I do the cooking? That's an agreement. And you can go through lots of points in life about how you fit that in with the kids. Would you agree to eat your greens if I make you, you know, french fries or, or however you work that agreement out? Or would you agree to, to eat that, you know, this amount of it? I mean, there are lots of ways you can do that, but finding an agreement, can we agree on that? That changes the rhythm. First of all, it doesn't feel like a demand is being put upon you, but something you have some say-so in. So you have ownership of it. The second thing is, if it doesn't happen, you have a conversation around the fact that you thought 
that that was an agreement. Where did it fall apart? What happened with that? And how can you reset it? So I would just suggest that agreements are a much healthier way of creating the patterns of what gets handled in life and how life gets handled. Now, there's another piece of this expectation that is scary for people. Because many times people say to me when I have this discussion, don't you think I should be able to expect my spouse to do X, Y, and Z? Or I should be able to have expectations of the relationship, expectations of my spouse. To which I respond, how's that working? Because what we're really doing is trying to control our environment in that. It, we believe, we've, we've come to believe that if we have an expectation that we're somehow controlling the outcome. In reality, all we're doing is getting disappointed by the outcome because we're holding on to an expectation that sometimes the other person didn't know or sometimes they aren't signed up for. They haven't enlisted in that. See, an agreement is an enlistment process. I've got an issue. Can we talk about this? Can I enlist you in us solving this together in an agreement? That's a powerful place to move from. When we're lost in the process of expectations rather than agreements, or when we're lost in our own internal expectations and we're disappointed, then we begin to struggle against the relationship. We deal with that frustration, the anger, the hurt, and the resentment. In fact, most of the times as I'm talking to people, part of what gets in the way in their arguments is that an expectation hasn't been met, whether it's known or not. It's the expectation, because they're not talking about an agreement they thought they had. They're talking about the expectations. So many times people kind of challenge me, and they say, well, can't, don't you think I should be able to expect my spouse to be faithful to the relationship? Well, and theoretically, that's a great thing to say. Realistically, that doesn't always happen. Does that mean you should expect your spouse to cheat? Now, notice. We went from one expectation to another expectation. Instead of a relation, can we build a relationship where we each choose and agree to protect the relationship and that we each agree to work on the connection together so that there is no way it's going to get invaded? That's a different platform to work from. So many times what we find as one of the wreckers of relationships is the fact that we have these expectations floating around for us. Instead of working on the connection and the relationship, we hold the expectations and we're basically holding the person to a standard that they either don't know that they're held to or didn't agree to be held to, which is generally a recipe for a disaster and that's why it makes a home wrecker, a marriage wrecker. So notice your expectations. Notice when you have external expectations where you announce them and internal expectations where you don't and you are still upset when they don't happen. And consider the fact that you might give up expectations internally and give up expectations externally, instead headed for agreement. Now, if you think there might be some secret sauce to how you can get to a better place, that would be the connection piece and changing yourself and creating that new path that I talk about. That's the hallmark of my system. If you don't have the Save the Marriage system 
and you're struggling on how to move forward, that would be a great place to start. You can grab my Save the Marriage system by going to savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com and get started there. When you do, go ahead and sign up for my VIP program. I give you a free week. And also sign up for the free best start session, the get start session with one of my coaches. You can do both of those. I include those just for free to make sure that you're fully equipped. The starting point for that, though, is at savethemarriage.com. This is Lee Balkan wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.